Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I just ask now for your blessing on this uh, portion of the service as we look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct uh, my thoughts, my words, uh, our thoughts as a church, Lord, together. Lord, I pray that you would be a present reality in every aspect of what happens this morning. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so last week we did the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was the first of three parts in this little particular portion of Luke where we're talking about living as disciples, okay? And so I'm, I'm also going to tell you, this is the 62nd sermon from Luke, 62. We're up to 62 now, and we're not even halfway through. Okay, I did not know it was going to take this long to get through Luke, but I have to be honest, there are so many tidbits in here that I have read before, but never delved into in the way that I've been able to this time through. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you've gotten something from it. Uh, And one of the things I'm going to talk about today is that there's a unique thing that goes on in local churches. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. I do want to talk today about um, this next passage. So we got living as disciples uh, how you relate to others, that was the, what the Good Samaritan is. Now we're going to talk about living as disciples, how we relate to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to do three, there's three chunks to this. The first piece of this sermon is just going to be the text. So I'm just going to go through the text, a little bit of explanation, a little bit of exposition. We're going to work through the text. Then we're going to uh, look at uh, a chunk of text, which I have here as a handout, because uh, I'm going to go through them quickly, and I'm going to force myself not to go in too deep on these because I'm going to be tempted to, I'm going to want to, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to lay these out here, present them to you, give you a handout so they're all in one place, give you a chance to look at them yourself. But then at the very end, we're going to, take an, we're going to make an attempted application of the text, okay? And when I say attempted application, that's because this particular text, the lesson is super clear. There's no doubt at all what the point of this text is about. The challenge is how to actually apply it on a day-to-day basis. It gets a little bit tricky. I don't have a problem with it being a little bit tricky. So let's start with the text itself. This is a text you might be somewhat familiar with, uh, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let me go ahead and get it up there on the slide for you. We'll get to the first verse. It's just a few verses today. Uh, Starts off verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, this village is most likely Bethany. Luke doesn't take the time to mention that. That's not important to his story, so he just says a village. We also know that Luke is probably not sharing these stories in chronological order because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and if this was the next thing that happened, it would have put him really close to Jerusalem, but then there's other stories that are going to happen later that puts him further away. And so we don't think that Luke is compiling these just in chronological order, but we think that he's compiling them together in order of topic or idea. Uh, there, there's chunks of things he's put together during this time period of Jesus' ministry. And he said, I'm going to put these things together. And so we get to see these little patterns emerge as Luke has compiled this story. We're also introduced here to somebody named Martha. Okay, And if you've been in church for a long time, you're already like, oh, I know this story. I know where this is going. Okay, So that's okay. It's okay. It's good. We know Martha as well from John's Gospel uh, Martha, Mary, her sister, and they had a brother. Who's, what was the brother's name? Anybody know? Lazarus, right? And what do we know about Lazarus? Christ, what did Christ do in Lazarus? 
raise him from the dead. That's a very familiar story. This is those same people. This is Martha's house. She's the hostess. I can imagine her as Jesus arrives seeking to make everything just right. Can you picture it already? I mean, Jesus is a prominent person. There was a, a, a rabbinical writing around the same time when the, the scriptures were written that says this. Um, it says this rabbi used to say, let thy house be a house of meeting for the sages and sit in the very dust of their feet and drink in their, th- their words with thirst. And I imagine Martha, I mean, this, this was meant to be, that, what a privilege to have a rabbi, a sage, come to your house, Right? That's a privilege for them. They look at this and have Jesus, who would have been at this time a prominent teacher, to come to their house. And I just imagine Martha thinking of this and thinking, oh, I have to get this all ready. Verse 39, we get introduced to her sister, Mary. She had a sister called Mary. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I think she knew that rabbinical thought, and she went one direction with it that her sister went a different direction with. This is actually very profound. For her to be sitting at his feet puts her in the position of a disciple. And I want you to know this was unheard of in these days. For a woman to take the position of a disciple, sitting at the feet of a rabbi, listening, this was absolutely unheard of. What's more amazing about it is that you see the the verb that's put here, who sat at the Lord's feet. The idea here is that she sat herself at his feet. So she had seen what he was about, understood his teaching to such a degree that she felt comfortable to say, I can go in here and sit at his feet. Isn't that marvelous? I just, I read that and I thought, that's marvelous. Is that not marvelous? That she understood and recognized who this was and that she could do this and come and sit at his feet and soak in his teaching like she's drinking it in. What an amazing thing. That in and of itself is an awesome, awesome side note in this story. Jesus' ministry was breaking boundaries. And Mary is taking it in for all that it's worth. Martha, though, because somebody had to do it, was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, being Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, can you, now, let's lay aside our preconceived notions of this for just a moment. What is Martha's, what, is, what do you think she's expecting Jesus to do with this question? What do you, what do you guys think she's expecting? <laughs> yeah. Could you tell, tell her... I'm doing this by myself. You, you get a sense of her feelings about it because there's two things right in there. First, she says, she has left me. She's abandoned me. She just left me. And then she throws in the word there, alone. Here's the irony in it. The word that is translated distracted up there is a word that also means to be, it can mean me, to be pulled away. The irony of the story is who actually got pulled away? Who actually left? Was it not Martha? Uh. This is the irony of the story, but Martha 
feels abandoned. She's been left alone, and I can feel that in her voice and the, the frustration over what's happening. But the Lord answers her with a double, this is called a double vocative, Martha, Martha. And I want you to know this is not at all, in fact, the way that this is stated means this is not at all condescending. This is a way for a Jewish writer to show that the person is responding full of emotion, with tenderness. Martha, Martha. And he says this, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious and troubled. Now you may already start to feel the tension of the application here. Can you feel it a little bit already? On the one hand, let's be honest. If she didn't do whatever it was she was doing, what would have happened? Jesus might have been thirsty. Who's, who's going to put the plates out? Who's going to make sure all these disciples that are here, that they have, I mean, if they're really going to be able to listen to Jesus, we need to get this environment set for them so that they can do this. How can we make sure that this is going to work? Somebody, I can imagine Martha in her mind saying, somebody's got to do it. And in some senses, can you feel the rightness of what she might be thinking? I'll give you a really clear example right now. For us to be in here sitting and listening, somebody left. Who left? Does anybody even know who left? Who left? Who's gone? Who's gone? The nursery workers, right? They're out there. They're, why are they doing that? Are they being Martha's right now? Well, somebody had to do it. But can you feel the tension? I mean, the, the serving the Lord for these purposes, and I can start to, I feel it in this story, the sense of like, yeah, but what about, uh, what do we do with that? Now, let's not miss what Jesus says. In this scenario where Martha is choosing to serve, ultimately, really, who's she ultimately serving? Now, don't try to answer with your, like, oh, I know who she was really serving. No, be honest. Who, who would she have said she was serving? The Lord. The disciples. This, in many ways, is service to the Lord. She's serving the Lord. But listen to Jesus' response, because let's not, let's not just overlook this. Listen to what he says. He's, he responds to her. He recognizes the distracted element that brought her away from this place to this place. And he says to her, you're anxious and troubled. There's, there's some anxiety there about what's going on, and you're troubled about this. There's many things that have distracted you. But then he says this. Now, different versions might have this stated a little bit differently. And the reason for that is there's some ancient texts that phrase this. Some of them say there are a few things that are necessary, some things that there's but one thing is necessary. It doesn't matter to the point of what's being said. There's one thing necessary. There's a specific thing that is necessary. And Mary, Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion. I love the symbolism that he's kind of slipping into this. I imagine Martha was preparing, among other things, food. 
What do we call it? What do we call it when we bring out chunks of food? Like, here's your portion. Mary's chosen, Jesus says, the good meal. Mary's chosen the good meal. The dishes that were being served, this was the important one. And she chose the good one. But remember, it's easy to slip into a condescending. Have you ever heard this Mary and Martha thing used in a condescending manner? When you got somebody that's doing something to try to pick up the, make sure things are getting done, and you hear, see, sure enough, somebody that's been in church a long time is going, oh, you're being such a Martha. Has, who's heard that before? Who's said it before? <laughs> I, I, I want you to know, I feel that tension. I've, I tried midweek to talk Paul into preaching this one. I was like, I don't want to do it. What am I supposed to do with the Marys and the Martha? He wouldn't do it. He, I tried. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, the lesson in here is very clear. There's, there's no question about the lesson. So that's part one, done. Okay? The lesson's clear. We went through the text. The lesson's clear. Any of us could walk out of here right now. There's a priority that ought to be set, and that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Listening to the teachings of Jesus is the top priority. Okay? There it is. But the application of this gets a little bit challenging, doesn't it? How do we actually play this out in day-to-day life? So I think there's two questions we need to answer. The first one is this. What does it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching today? That's the first question. I think we ought to answer that question. The second question is this. What distracts us, right? In other words, what is it? What are the things that distract us from that? Because Martha was distracted from that. So there there are things that pulled her away from that. And I think that's a great question to ask. What distracts us from that? So let's take a look at these two questions. The first question there, what does it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching today? All right, so now, I need everybody to stand up. If you can. No, you don't have to be listening All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. I just, I'm getting back into teaching mode. I'm going back to the classroom. I love doing that with my kids for no reason at all. Just make you stand up and sit down. It's the power. I've got the power. Just command a room full of people. That's terrible, isn't it? All right, in the second part, and could I get some youngsters to help pass these out? Um, in order to go quickly through this, Liam, can you help? Liam can help. Steve, Steve's a youngster. Okay, here, you come up here and help. Can you give, hand some of these out? Steve, can you hand a few of these out? Two youngsters here. Don't be such a Martha. Joe, I'm going to enlist you, and I put the extras here in case they run out. All right, so in the second part, as they're passing those out, this is what I thought, okay? I, I felt this urgency a few days ago i felt this urgency to really take a look at what does it mean to sit at the feet of jesus and listen to his teaching so i'm going to attempt to very quickly with a fire hose approach of scripture where i'm just going to turn the spigot on and go boosh right to try to show you something that i believe about what it means to sit at the feet of jesus okay so these passages, I'm going to have them up here as well, but I wanted you to have them right there in front of you. I would encourage you because I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to dig into every single one of these. There's a thousand little pieces of information in here that are just amazing. 
But I just want to take these and like a big, and I've used this illustration before, like a big pot of stew, each one of these pads, we're going to ch- throw it in there, stir it up, and I think there's something we can walk away with. Basically, what does it mean to sit and listen at the feet of Jesus today? That's the first and foremost question we ought to ask because clearly from the lesson, Luke wants us to know and Jesus wants us to know that's the priority. So what does that look like today? Okay, so let me go through these scriptures. Uh, I wrestled with which ones. I mean, there's so many I could have gone with. I tried to, I really tried to trim it down. I still end up with almost two pages of scriptures. I really tried to cut away any excess. I'm going to read each one of these make a couple short comments as to why I put this one in here, and then we're going to move on to the next one, okay? The first one is this, and this is where we're going to get to this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus would be a piece of cake if Jesus was still physically present, wouldn't it? You'd know exactly what it meant. If he was stationed over in Jerusalem somewhere, and we said, I want to sit at the feet of Jesus, we could get airplane tickets and fly over there and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I personally look at that. Sometimes I think, I'd prefer that. Uh, Josiah and I were talking about something similar to this last night. That, there's an aspect of that that I go, man, I wish that was the case today. It, would it be so much easier in so many ways? I mean, think about how many times you'd love to just go, what does Jesus think about this? What if you could just walk up to him and say, what do you think about this? And he was like, this is what I think about this. That would be great, wouldn't it? But Jesus isn't physically here in his physical body. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. So it leaves us in this situation, but I don't want you to think that that's actually a bad thing, and I'm going to get to why that is in just a minute. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. This is the middle of a bigger context, so I'm picking this out here, but for a specific purpose. Jesus is teaching them. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's been talking to them about aspects of this. I threw that verse in there just because it's part of the context. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Okay, to be with you forever. That's good. Even the spirit of truth. So we get a hint. Who's this other helper? Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Then he says, you, disciples, know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying, when I'm going, somebody else is going to come. The father is going to send him to you, this other helper. And he refers to him in this case as the spirit of truth. Truth, which, by the way, I love that truth becomes personal in this context. The very spirit of truth. Go a little bit further down in John chapter 14. You get to verses 25 and 26. He's talking again. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, and then he refers to him again. The helper, who is it? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things... And bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So you start to get this idea that this spirit that's coming, that Jesus is referring to, he's referring to it in the future. The spirit that's coming is meant to teach us in place of Jesus being physically here. And you start to see the wisdom in it because if Jesus was physically here and that was our only route, that would make things quite challenging for us, wouldn't it? Who all of us could afford to fly to Jerusalem every time we needed to talk to Jesus? But yet there's something bigger and better that's at stake here, that's at play. In fact, he says this, John chapter 16, verse 7, talking to his disciples again. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I've always marveled at that reality because 
In my head, I still cling to this idea that if he was physically here, that would be better. But he says, it's to your advantage that I go so that he will come. In other words, this is better than that. Okay? He says, if I, if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I'm going to go back to something in that last one. It says, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. There's that teaching element. But then there's a second little part to that that sneaks in there, and I, I don't want you to miss it. And bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, that's going to be important in a couple minutes because those disciples that are hearing this, he has made a promise to them that when the Spirit comes, he's going to help them remember the things that have been said to them. And this starts to lead into the reality of this written text. Did they have video cameras back in Jesus' day? Could he have done blog posts that we could have read now? Is he doing video vlogs? Where is he doing those? To, you know, he's not doing that. What was the main medium of recording information in that day? Right? Written word? And Jesus promises them that when I go, I'm going to bring these things to remembrance to you. And so there's this idea that the Spirit is going to teach, but there's also this concept that's specific to those apostles, those ones that heard his teachings, that they would be able to remember those by the power of the Spirit. If you go down to John 16, uh, 12 through 15, he tells them, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Well, that's interesting. There's, there's a whole slew of other things that I'm going to have to teach you, but you can't bear them quite yet, fellas. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so we start to get this concept that we're not absent from the ability to sit at the feet of Jesus today just because he's not physically present. Those things are going to be given to us by another method, by another avenue. These teachings of Jesus, I want to throw in an extra little passage here to kind of go back and cover, and I wish I had more time to really dig into this. But these teachings of Jesus, he references after he's resurrected that if you even go all the way back through all of the Old Testament, it's all ultimately about him. He tells these guys on the road to Emmaus, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's a way of saying the Old Testament, right? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so as you go back through this, and this is why when uh, Paul preaches on Joshua, he's looking for Jesus. And that is the way we ought to lay these things out. And the example of that is by Christ himself, that this is about him. They're concerning him. Now, there's some cautions here, so I want to give you the next passage here. We're going to dig into this next one. This next one is actually super, super important. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 14. Peter is writing, one of, those, the, one of those apostles that was with Christ, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved... Now, here, here's the important part. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Okay, so Peter is referencing the writings of Paul. And listen, 
as he does in, his, in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So he's referencing some things, and I don't have time to get into all the things he's referencing, but he says, when Paul's writing, he's, he's referencing something that was given to him, right? And I believe by the Spirit. He said, now, I love Peter. Peter Fisherman says this next. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Uh, maybe we should get an amen on that. Anybody ever read the writings of Paul and gone, this is hard to understand. Anybody ever gotten to that point? This is hard to understand. Peter was reading those things too and thought the exact same thing. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. And he says this, which the ignorant, and that's not an insult. Ignorance is not about being stupid. Ignorance is just lacking in certain bits of knowledge. And he says this, Peter warns, he says, the ignorant and unstable twist, what? These writings to their own destruction. As they do, and here's the really important part, as they do the other scriptures. So Peter, this is the first and key element where you find in the New Testament an an attesting to itself, Peter just called Paul's writings scripture and elevated them to the same level as the rest of the Old Testament. Do you see that that right in that passage? He's just elevated these writings of Paul up to that level. He says then, you therefore beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, again, I'm forcing myself to move on. There's so many other parts in here. Some of this I'm going to hit if we have our Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting this week. This is the page I'm going to look at. Now, there's some warnings in there. There's some cautions with the reading of this text. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, now go to some of the writings of Paul, and I want to reference something here very quickly. For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, now listen to this carefully, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, okay, so there was things throughout the Old Testament that weren't clear yet, and the way the New Testament refers to those things is by the word mystery. We're not talking about Scooby-Doo trying to solve something here, okay? There was pieces missing, okay? And uh, what what does Paul say? He says, this mystery, right, that's been made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. I don't know what he means by briefly. It seems like he wrote quite extensively. He says, when you read this, you can perceive, and this, doesn't, this is not meant to be like, I bet you can perceive my insight. That's not what this is. He's saying, I ho- I'm hoping that as you read these things, you recognize that's not Paul. Right? That's not Paul. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, before I lose you, Let's connect it here. What, am, what question am I answering? How can we sit at the feet of Jesus today? And I hope that you're starting to see that the key piece is to be found right here, that the Spirit was going to be given, and the key way that he was going to transfer this knowledge to you was through the written word written by those men at that time. 
This is not meant to be, and I'm going to make a couple more arguments in this direction. This is not meant to be. If you sit there and think, I think sitting at the feet of, the G- feet of Jesus could be me out by myself. I'm going to tell you what, you, there's some truth to that. We've all been given the Spirit of God. But you can't deny what the Scriptures attest to themselves that this is that main avenue that the Spirit is going to reveal truth. And he's revealed things to those apostles and those, those men that wrote these things. And, and these things are there for us to pick up and read. And so to sit at the feet of Jesus, number one, you, start, you ought to start thinking, man, it's, it's got to be here. But I hope at the same time you're recognizing we've read a couple warnings already that you just reading this, if you're, if you're ignorant right, of these things, you, unstable people can twist them to their own destruction. So there's some cautions in there. This is why I encourage people when they're reading the Bible, to, I, not physically, but spiritually. I, I, I read the Bible like this sometimes. Careful. Easy. Sometimes I'll read something, I go, I don't understand that. I'm going to keep reading. Reading, you know. Too, many, too often people grab one thing and they build whole thoughts and theories off of those one things and it's a dangerous way. This is not a toy. This is the very word of God. And there's warnings and cautions in there. Let me go ahead and finish this verse here. I'm gonna skip this last one. Um, let me go down to Ephesians 4 because there's another element of this that I ha- I've, there's been hints of it, but there's another piece to this puzzle that Christ has given us I'm going to tell you right now, this one I again say hesitantly, cautiously, because there's all kinds of wrong avenues that this could take. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is the very word of God from Paul. He wrote this right here. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And now listen to this. Now we know that he's given the spirit to help reveal those things. We know that there's some cautions and warnings about this text. But listen to this missing piece of the puzzle to to help guide through this challenging understanding of the very word of God. And he, being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, okay, we have like the New Testament, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, before I go any further, I need to tell you this. This is a weird one for me to talk about. The word that's translated shepherd, does anybody know what that word can also be translated as? Anybody? Anybody? Paul knows. Pastor, very good. Pastor. Okay, so if I read this correctly, then in some way that's my mind can't quite fathom. Oh, my mama like this. One of the gifts of God to his people are the pastors in the church. Now, I told you my mama like that. You know what she named me? Named me Matthew. You know what Matthew means? Gift of God. I mean, she, okay, I'll leave her out of this. My dad didn't want to name me that, I'll tell you that. Um, That's a weird, for lack of a better term, a weird place that it puts me. 
and it requires, I'm going to be honest with you, it requires this odd step of faith each and every Sunday that I get up here. Like, I, I'm banking on Christ each week to do this through me. If you really knew me, you'd go, impossible. <laughs> if you kind of know me, you'd go, it's pretty unbelievable. But yet, this is the avenue that Christ has said, and Paul has told us and recorded, this is one of the ways to caution his people, to, to help his people to understand this word, that he's going to use actual human beings in this process. Does that make sense? It's challenging. It's challenging for me. I'm, I'm, what, a, what a responsibility. But the, the great part about the responsibility is I, as I say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do this. I want you to know that I take it not with, yeah. And let's be honest. There's some pastors that take it with a, yeah. I'm God's mouth. May God wipe them out. The voices of the word of God that stand in pulpits ought to be humbly say, if but for the grace of God, I'd blow this. Lord, help me. Help me to not go awry. What's one of the things I pray every single Sunday? I know Paul does the same thing when he preaches. Every single Sunday I get up and say, Lord, would you guide my words? I mean, even though I've written these notes, when it comes right down to it, Lord, help me, please. And so we come together as a group and we say, all right, Lord, this is the way you said it works. So we're going to trust you. That's what church is. Is people going, saying, that's the way you said it? We're trusting you? We're going to try it your way. And not our own. And so we come together. And we say, okay, Lord, we're trusting. And I know, I know. So you, probably it takes a lot more faith. You look up here at me and you're like, that knucklehead. But that's okay. That's how God's way works. I could go on reading through the rest of this here very quickly, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time because I want to get to this last part, but I, I do want to point out, let me go back, part of what is going to happen is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I mean, these warnings are placed in there again, and one of the ways that Christ has laid out that we can be safe and secure is through this. The last two passages there, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, and 2 Timothy 4. Um, I'm not going to take the time to read through those. Very powerful passages, again, that talk about the same thing. In fact, my favorite part of this one here, um, actually, if I go back to verses 15 and 16, this is Paul talking to Timothy, a young, young pastor, and he, he lays on him, don't forget what you've already been taught. But I love this next one. This is one that I think many of us should memorize. Um, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What a great and powerful thing that is summarizing what the scriptures are about. But I shared this last one here very briefly to show you the mo motivation and the goal as I get up here and talk to you. Paul tells Timothy this charge. I'm just going to read the first three words of verse 2. What's he say to do? Preach the word. So that's what we endeavor to do. So what does it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching today? I believe, 
I believe this is the only place sanctioned by God, the church, the local church is the only place sanctioned by God, orchestrated by Christ, and empowered by the Spirit where you will get that unique fusion of the Spirit of God teaching you through the Word of God. I'm going to say that again. This is the only place, a, a local church, not just Edgewood. You guys know that, right? You didn't think I was just, just here. We're the only ones. No. This is the only place sanctioned by God, orchestrated by Christ, and empowered by the Spirit where you will get that unique fusion of the Spirit of God teaching you through the Word of God. How do we sit at the feet of Jesus today? You're doing it. In, in faith, in God's way, you're doing it right here and right now. Coming to hear the preaching of the word. This is better than, there, oh man, I'm not going to go down this tangent very far, but let me just throw out a couple. This is better than YouTube church. Okay? Let me give you, can I give you one reason why? You, you know what happens with YouTube church? You know what I mean by YouTube church? You're like, there's a church on YouTube? No, no, that's not what I mean. YouTube, you find I, I find, I do this too. I find the sermons I want to hear. Like I'm going to pick my topic. I'm going to pick what I want to hear. And I start listening to what I want to hear. And then you'll find that more and more people, the more they do that, the more it gets singled out. And I've seen so many people, especially this last couple years of COVID, have gone off the deep end, washed away by waves of false doctrine as they more and more honed in on certain sectors of teaching apart from a local body of believers. I think the same thing I could be saying about not just YouTube church, but TV church or radio church. There's something unique about this. I wish I had time to delve into this even more, but I'm telling you right now, there's something unique about what's happening right now. I believe that with every ounce of my being, there's something unique. When you go to a church and you sit down and the pastor preaches, there's something you're going to get in a situation. And, and I think one of the reasons, if I could venture a guess, I think one of the reasons is that as we come together, there's this group of people who've come together, the Spirit of God, acting in this moment of time with these people both the speaker and the listener. Does that mean that you ought to only go, I mean, does that mean, oh, I don't listen to any, does that mean that, that I'm the best pastor there is? Absolutely not. You'll find way better speakers than me. It's not about that. It's not about eloquence of words. There's a hope when you come to a church that you're saying, God, I'm hoping with everything faith in you that you will deliver your word to me today through this faulty human being. And you get a unique fusion of this in-person reality of the spirit working. So I think the next question we have to ask, and this is what I'm going to close with, and this shouldn't take long, what are the things that distract us from that? What distracts us? Maybe I should let you answer. In fact, let's do this. Before I ask the question, let's do this. So the illustration that Jesus gave, there was serving Jesus. Martha was serving Jesus right there. 
right? And that, that gets, uh, what about, what about, what about? So let's just do this. Let, let's step way back from that example, and let's go way over here. Let's go to the far end of the spectrum. What distracts people in our, and this is one of those times where I'm actually asking you a question. I'm hoping that somebody will go, oh, I got something. Okay, so just start thinking, prepare. What distracts people in our day from sitting at the feet of Jesus? Self-will. Let's get more specific, though. What are actual things? For Martha, it was serving. Yeah. Work. Okay. And I'm telling you what, this gets real tricky, doesn't it? Because I've said, I've had to say multiple times, sometimes we got, we got work situations today where you have no choice from that job but to work on Sunday. What do you do with that? Can we say that that's a reality, though, that we might need to, let's think, instead of just laying it, oh, well, think about it? Yeah. Yeah. What else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let, let's, okay, let's get, let's, this is where it gets down right where it starts to, to matter. Because, see, it's easy. I'm going to tell you, it's so easy. It's so easy to lay out the examples that don't apply to you, isn't it? It's so easy to do that. In fact, it's also easy to lay out the examples where there's some wiggle room. But there's some things that have distracted us from coming to the feet of Jesus that we knew it was a distraction. Right? The phones. <laughs> Even in church. Oh, I'm not, oh, what was he saying? Distracted. But let, let's hit on the mowing one for a second. I, I'm going to share a quote just because I have to. Um, I'll, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Bilbo Baggins. Okay. He, he makes this comment. I love this. One of my favorite quotes in the whole book. He, he says that, Bilbo, he says, I feel thin. I, I like this because it speaks to how most Americans are today. Let's just be honest. I feel thin sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. I hate that, by the way. Don't you hate that when you're like getting ready, you're making toast, and you go to open up the butter, and you realize there's only this much butter left, and you know you can get a cold stick of butter out, but then you can't even spread, then it rips your toast up. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. But it, it, it creates a visual, and I'm going to tell you right now, I would say most of us in this room, that quote captures how we feel a lot of times. Stretched. Thin. And how often do we get to Sunday, and at the risk of sounding like some old-timey preacher, how often though do we get to Sunday, that, that time in the week where we ought to prioritize this opportunity to sit with a other, another group of believers and hear the preaching of the word, not by what I've picked out to be told to me with my itching ears, but what does God have for me this Sunday? But I'm thin, stretched. And I, I know that God understands I just need a day to recoup. And then the priority. Sitting at the feet of Jesus drops down. How many things during the week one of the things I haven't heard mentioned yet, this is, the, I'm just, can we get real? Step on all your, everybody's toes at the same time. 
uh, kids activities. I've known so many couples that, and, and you see, I'm actually old enough to do this now. You see the demise. And sometimes that's where it started. The game was on Sunday morning. The away game was on Sunday morning. And the priority? And I found, and it, it, it's something that I, I say, oh Lord, well, how do we resolve this? I found that there's more and more things that trump this. And I want to say that's, if you let that happen, ultimately that's a lack of your faith in God's way of bringing you his teaching. And your priorities have slipped. I don't ever want to sound like the old preacher that said, you ought to be here every time the doors are open. But as we've stepped away from that legalistic thought, we've also lost some stuff, haven't we? Maybe bound up in some of that wasn't just the legalism. Maybe it was for many. Maybe it turned into that. But maybe some, it's because for them, this was top priority. And it trumped everything. I'll starve if I have to. I'll be dead tired if I have to. I'll do whatever I need. I need to sit at the feet of Jesus. On Wednesday night, we'll talk about, well, what do we do with nursery workers? But I don't think I need to talk about that this morning. I think the number one thing we have to go is, what are my priorities? Am I Martha, distracted, or Mary, who's chosen the good portion, according to Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for Mary. Lord, I thank you for Martha. Lord, I thank you for this illustration laid out for us in this gospel according to Luke. I thank you for the lesson that is taught here. My prayer this morning is that you would help each and every one of us in this room take that lesson and ask ourselves, not how should they apply it, but Lord, how ought I to apply this? How ought I to be the one that has the good portion chosen that will not be taken away? I pray this now for myself and for all in this room, and I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.